Repodcasting is part of the Alberta Podcast Network. Locally grown, community supported. Have you ever watched a movie and wondered why they cast that woman or that guy? Well, here's our chance to give it a try. We're repodcasting. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Repodcasting. Today is a special bonus episode. We are interviewing Calgarian filmmaker Berkeley Brady. Welcome, Berkeley. Hello, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for doing this. I'm really excited. Yeah. Berkeley is coming to us from the recently finished film Dark Nature. And uh, we're going to be playing Dark Nature at the Calgary International Film Festival. We're so excited about that. So before we begin, um, I actually wanted to kind of go back to your origins. So how did you decide you wanted to work in film? Where did that come about? It's a good question. I think it came from actually writer's block. I did a degree in creative writing at the University of Victoria, which um, I really struggled through and actually totally killed my love of writing and joy of writing. So I was just like depressed and in my early 20s in Victoria, staring on like a rainy day at an empty page and just thinking like, is this going to be my whole life just alone in a room writing? There must be another way to tell stories. And so I actually just started doing a lot of illustration and photography and people started responding to that by just asking me to do like posters or CD designs or things like that. And through that, I got a job when I graduated through actually a telefilm initiative that was meant to develop producing talent. So yeah, that was really amazing, actually. So it's really cool, actually, how to see how much telefilm has actually nurtured my career. Um, It's amazing. Yeah, humbling. (laughs) I'm very (laughs) grateful to them. But um, so I started just as an assistant for a documentary company. Oh. Yeah. So that's where I learned editing, editing on the Avid at that time. It was very different. This was like 2006 or seven. And then I moved to Toronto and kept working as an assistant for different filmmakers and basically just being like a broke artist, um, living with my friends in like a locked <laughs> apartment with no sound privacy. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say like, oh, living with your friends in Toronto seems fun, but then the no privacy part. <laughs> <laughs> we were young, you know, we still, we were still like, this is fine. And, and looking back, it was really um, creative time. I learned a lot. Um, one of my roommates, her name is Erin Robinson, and she's an incredible poet, writer, and modern dancer. So I just learned so much from her. And oh. yeah, so it's great to just, um, and the stuff she's doing now is equally inspiring. So, and then after that point, I started thinking, okay, like film is a option, but it still felt so intimidating. And I don't think I ever really thought like, what is a director or that I could be one? I really just didn't at that time. It wasn't really on the table. It yeah. seemed just so unattainable. Right. Yeah. And then I started dating a musician, a guy who was from the States. And so we started just going to different places in the States, including New York. And I realized, oh, it's not like you don't have to be intimidated of it here. And oh, there's a really good film school here. And, oh. you know, and then LA and there's some good ones here. So I applied to a couple different film programs for the MFA and then ended up going to Columbia. And then that was the point at which it's like, just time-wise and financially, it's like, I'm getting married to film. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Oh, yeah, so it's cool. a big investment, like, for anyone at any grad program. Yeah, I yeah. Bet. So it was just like, I, you, you really, it was like jumping off a cliff. It was like, there's no going back. I could just ruin my whole life, or I could live my dream. Like, it's going to be one or the other. Yeah, And yeah. I'm going to accept that. Well, it sounds like you're 
very creative in general. I mean, you were writing and then you were drawing and photography and film, like it's all creative endeavors. So that's really impressive that, you know, you've managed to continue in a field that requires you to be creative. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I think it's a good thing. And I think a lot of artists have sort of a reason why they got that way. I'd say probably for me, it was growing up just with my parents outside of Edmonton on an acreage. I just was my own friend with my dog probably for the first five years of my life. I had like some little friends, but we lived in a pretty remote area and um, I spent a lot of time just in nature. Mm. And I think that that is really great for your brain and making up stories. And yeah, it always just stories were always something that I was surrounded by and that I really loved hearing and reading. And um, then like oh I can do it too like I didn't actually really think about it okay yeah I just kind of was like guys I'm writing a story I'm putting on a play sit down watch <laughs> <laughs> like oh no <laughs> oh that's fantastic yeah. okay well I was gonna ask if you always wanted to direct but you've already answered that <laughs> yeah no it's a good question I think like it's funny being on set too because you know even on this one there's a lot of people in the crew who are like well I want to direct and it's like, to people, even myself, did I have any idea what directing really meant? I think that's maybe an interesting I, like, concept of what is the job, really, yeah. and what's expected of you. And it, it is actually, like, this is great coming to the podcast and getting to go around with the film. And there's so many amazing parts, but there's so much about it that I'm like, who would ever want to do this? Like, oh, well. <laughs> there's so much, um, so much of it is about leadership, accountability, so when things go wrong. Even if I couldn't have done anything or I thought something different was happening, like people get mad at you. Oof. It's a lot of just like time management. Okay. And yeah. a lot of um, just listening. But I think it is an incredible job as well. As, as much as I am like, ah, production is rough. <laughs> Post-production is awesome. And I like pre-production and development. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah, I guess a lot of people go into this field because they're creative people, but then you have to access the opposite part where it's like you have to be very organized and, and be leading and it's less about just making art. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's almost like not really taught at the schools oh, wow. as well. Like there's a lot of emphasis on the creativity and the craft, which is really exciting and important. But if one of my favorite things is doing my shot lists and collecting references and images and almost mood boards for different scenes of the film. And I'm alone in my little office just, you know, with music on or I have aromatherapy. Like, I'm like, this is heaven. And that is the opposite environment. Like, the introvert in me that is does the actual creative work mm-hmm. is just horrified by, like... And so, really, like, I'm so tired, like, during production. Wow. Because it's like you're you really don't get any time to... There's zero balance. Oh, yeah. Yeah, especially in indie film. It, it was like 16-hour days for me for six weeks with no day off. Oh, boy. Yeah, so we had weekends off, but you're, like, putting up fires or doing the script, making corrections. So it's just, I think it's, um, yeah, it's very much the opposite of that, like, arty kind of creative thing. And yeah. both are part of it. Right. <laughs> That's so interesting that it's also not taught or emphasized in film school yeah yeah it's it's a leadership I think aspect because um and I think it's interesting to see I think some people are just natural leaders Mm -hmm. um and some people are think that they are and they're just bosses or they're bossy (laughs) sure sometimes you have to be bossy and then I think it's always interesting being a woman because we don't have that many role models for just like 
positive assertion. Mm-hmm. And you, there's people who just simply don't want to be told what to do from a woman. They just don't. Yeah. And you, know, you can feel it. But then there's people who probably don't want that from a man either. It's like just getting those um, role models. I think we're still, I can think of like two females that I saw directing with big responsibility. And I really, I remember watching them and just being like, whoa, okay, how did she deal with that actor um, sort of challenging her or how did, because it, there's just a different sometimes approach that people mm-hmm. expect or that you have to work around. Wow. Yeah. That throws an extra wrench into the plan. <laughs> <laughs> it does. It's a little, it's a little extra challenge, yeah. but I think, um, yeah, there's probably things to that. It's just, it's just the personalities mm-hmm. and the mix that you're going to have on each set of personalities is always different. So I think that's yeah, what's different about like other businesses. You know, you might get to go, you don't have like HR and work where you go, <laughs> yeah. okay, and, you have established it's like this project's this people this project's those people mm-hmm. yeah yeah wow well uh i'll talk a little bit about dark nature without spoiling okay, anything yes. <laughs> hard to do that. i know <laughs> um so it's about a therapy group that goes on a camping retreat in the canadian rockies where they face a threat more terrifying than the monsters of their past yes <laughs> yes and so it is classified as a horror film yeah and so is horror a genre that you gravitate towards that, like, what kind of horror movies have inspired you? Oh, that's a great question. I definitely have always loved The Exorcist. I think that's definitely one of the best movies just ever. And um, I love The Descent. Mm-hmm. This is many ways just like my low-budget homage to The Descent. <laughs> um then I, I think that horror is a really incredible genre because almost it isn't like quote unquote prestigious or even like cool. Maybe it's changing now with like Jordan Peele. Okay, he's kind of yeah. making it cool, but like in the, it hasn't really been. And it's own. It's like a place for almost the outcasts and even the outcasts and taboos in the world of ideas. So mm-hmm. I think that as an artist to say like there is this one realm where people say we want to explore the whole range of the human condition and look at even like the ugliest, most disgusting things. But that is part of the human experience. So horror allows room for that. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's really, I think, interesting when I first started doing more horror, a lot of my friends, people were like, oh, I don't like it. I don't like it. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I don't know. I just feel like the rebel in me wants to kind of see what I could do over here. Sure. And as I've been in the genre and learning more about just horror fans of the community and realize like, no, I've always been like really interested in horror and <laughs> I love that there is a community and people are really passionate and I love being a part of it. Oh, cool. Yeah. I have to admit, I'm one of those chickens who like <laughs> avoided horror for a very long time. And just in the past couple of years, I've been kind of forcing myself. I still haven't seen The Exorcist, which is just a crime. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> you will love it. Yeah, I'm yes. sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, because what's been surprising for me is that so many, or let's say the good horror films yeah. tend to speak to so much more than just what you're seeing. And, you know, they're very much like a metaphor for something in society. And I think that in Dark Nature, too, like you manage to weave this horror tale into also talking about trauma. Yeah. Which is really cool. Awesome. Really well done. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is cool. And I think too, just in, I was thinking about how, and it's funny too, because even now I feel like, oh, these ideas are almost like two or three years old. Like the culture and the zeitgeist is moving so fast okay. from the time we like write a script and get it through development oh, to wow. actually make the film. 
it's like I, I think the idea about trauma it's I think even as culture four or five years ago it was still like wait what's that about how do you talk about that and now it's almost like oh man another like female empowerment stalking movie or something like oh, wow. you know like people <laughs> are like we get it now like what's next and I hope that what's still working in the film is that we can talk about trauma and people can talk about um, sort of understanding their trauma, but this movie takes off from that point of already having trauma. I suppose where like a lot of horror films, I feel like leave with a very traumatized group of people. Okay. This yeah. one's like these people, yeah, they already are, they're working on it. And that doesn't mean it's going to stop. So it's like for, for me, when I was this last year, it's like, COVID was this trauma that we've all gone through. And then it's like the war in Ukraine. And now there's like Roe v. Wade not happening. And it's just like, oh, it doesn't matter like what you're working on. Like the world is going to keep just throwing things at you. And that's life. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. for sure, man. <laughs> life is uh, life these days. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's like, you know, the environment, like the things we actually are facing are so enormous. Yeah. And like, what do we, how do we live with that? And so I think this is in this in this story. I just for me that's like a met the metaphor that's kind of there. It's like how do you live with these difficult things? And for these characters, it's these specific things. But yeah, it's meant as a metaphor. Well, as I mentioned, the film is in the Canadian Rockies. Can you tell me where in Kananaskis you filmed? Yeah, we filmed um, this place called Jura Creek. Okay. So, you know, when you're going on the highway towards Canmore mm -hmm. and there's that big factory oh, yes. near the lake, mm -hmm. sort of behind there. Okay. Yeah. Um, cool. So that was one place, the the big canyon, like the really impressive canyon. Mm -hmm. And um, actually, we had a, a guy on the crew um, who, he's from that territory. Mm -hmm. And he actually was saying he was with some elders and talking to them about some of the issues that we had on set, some of the setbacks. And they started laughing and they were like, oh, that place is actually like you're not meant to work there. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Traditionally, it's like oh. in like Blackfoot like, culture, it's like known as a as a place that, like, you're supposed to go there to um, basically spend time with the spirit or memories of people who've passed. Okay. But you don't really stay that long, and you, like, bring gift, and then you leave. Mm -hmm. But the one thing you're not supposed to do there is work. And it's so funny because we got our butts kicked oh, at that no. location. <laughs> so I just was like, ah, that's what was going on. Like, I, you could feel something was going on. Wow. It's like, darn it. But... You know, even knowing that when I still picked that place, maybe, because, like, where else are you going to find a canyon like that? It's impressive. Yeah. And also, that kind of feels like, in some ways, the production was mirroring what was happening in the film. Yes, I think that always happens. Yeah. Yes. Wow. Yeah, that's why next time I want to make a movie about everyone getting really rich and just having so much fun. Great idea. <laughs> <laughs> and that would be really nice if you could, like, Im art imitates life. Oh, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, we're, like, some of the terrain that we see yeah. on screen is really, like... What's the word? Like, you've got jagged cliffs and things like that. Yeah. So, like, did you have a lot of difficulty in getting to some spots? Like, yeah. were there arduous hikes that you yeah. had to do? Absolutely. So, there was Jura Creek. That was that location. Um, there's the drive there. And then it was about a 20-minute walk from Circus, where the, the trailers are, up to where we were shooting. Okay. And then we went to um, the ice caves hmm. um, just outside of Bright Creek that, and just below there. That was sort of um, our, one of our second locations. And they actually, the new movie, A Predator Prey, they actually shot a lot there too. Oh. So we were um, one of the locations in the water scenes. It's actually in the Predator trailer. 
And, cool. <laughs> yeah, and so we, we had already actually scouted that location before we knew that they were going to be there. Mm-hmm. And then I was bringing someone back to scout, and they had a hot tub down there, porta potties, um, tons of just like safety people, ropes. And I was like, oh my gosh, how did you guys get like porta potties down here? Like on the helicopter. Uh, <laughs> it was like the helicopter. Like we did not have a helicopter. We were hiking up and down that hill every time we had to like go to the bathroom. And yeah, the crew was, was like, that was a really hard location for them. And yeah. I think I learned a lot there. I knew it was going to be hard, but just even those simple things like going up and down a hill for lunch and then back again. And when you forget something, just those little moments, like it just through a 16 or 14 hour day in the elements, like it just drains people and everything went so slowly. We had mm-hmm. so many problems there wow. and the water is just so powerful. So when we're in the water or crossing it, we just like, had great shots where because of the iron content in a rock we were near the signal dropped so we had like an amazing shot of tara like putting on her hood before in the water yeah which will make sense if you see the movie <laughs> she like nailed it she's like put up her hood and like dunked yeah and we lost that take and then it's ice cold so she can't like do it again the hood's wet now and so it's like oh, that yeah. moment was supposed to be this like in my mind this amazing moment and it kind of was just like wait, did she put her head up there? Yeah, that part didn't <laughs> oh, no. work as intended. Oh, man. So you just have to kind of roll with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, okay, so let me ask you this. Maybe this might be a contentious That's question. <laughs> but so, I mean, it looks amazing. The views are great. Like, it fits this film so well. But it was really difficult. Would you... Like, if you were to go back, would you change anything? In the movie itself? Just, or... Like, in your production of it. Like, would you mm. pick somewhere that's easier to get to or something like that? Um, I think there's little things, like practical things we learned. For example, we bought um, generators mm. for the trailers. And we bought a package of them that were used. And, you know, when you're buying, you have that many trailers, you need, like, eight it really adds up. But then some of those had parts that broke or that didn't work. And it's mm-hmm. like that just ruined days or mornings because you can't just run to Home Depot and grab a part. It's an hour away. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So like little things like that, um, I'd really just put the money into the sort of infrastructure. Um, it's really hard because, yeah, it's not like we have all this money that you can just be like, okay, yeah, you do this, do that. But I would mm-hmm. say that like just getting those um, trailers somehow really up and running and making sure that the people who were in charge of that were maybe just had more time being trained Mm. and more support Um, because the locations people work so hard. They're there earlier than everyone and they're the last to leave. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So they do get breaks in the day and they can like nap and stuff then, but it's like they were just going. Sometimes we're finishing. I could see they were working at 11 and like I knew they were going to be up at 4 a.m. Oh, stuff yeah. like that and I'm just like oh that's awful <laughs> and then yeah I think in terms of locations I think um, we learned a lot of lessons too just about um, making sure that communication is really really clear around safety so just oh. making sure we have uh, like double checking that the safety meetings happening not thinking oh that person is doing it and it's been done like just that commun- there were sometimes things that were um I feel like because of miscommunication or injuries even, you know, you like we lost our stunt coordinator um at the Jura Creek location the day before we went into those caves. Oh. And those caves that you see, they're real. 
Yeah. Like the okay. inside of the cave is in the stu studio. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, but the outside was real. So yeah, we had a safety plan for that that this stunt coordinator um, designed, but then he hurt himself the day before. Just walking up a hill it was like a freak accident. Okay. And then he had a replacement, but he didn't know how to implement the plan in the way that our safety guy would have. So if our original guy was there, it would have been so great and smooth. Everyone, we still kept his same plan, but just I know that people um, really struggled at that location, and I, I understand why. And it, it was just like those sort of lessons learned that, like, oh, you don't think that the day that by losing the stunt coordinator is going to have this whole trickle effect on so many people and things wow. like that. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. Well, speaking of stunts, I read that pretty much everything or almost everything I should say is um, practical effects, real stunts. Like there's not a lot of, you know, visual effects. Yeah. Yeah. Um, was, was that really a conscious decision? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, absolutely. I just thought like CGI, I still feel like for the most part, it looks different. It just has a different feel. Mm -hmm. And I just thought like, there's a lot of horror sort of tricks and ways you can work with practicals that actually I think are more powerful. Mm. So we really want to do that. And we spent a lot of money on blood. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Big blood. Right, right. That Not real sense. blood. Okay, cool. Well, can you tell me a little bit about the film score by the local band Ghostkeeper? Yeah. So we're so happy with the score. Um, and we really, um, it was thanks to Mike Peterson, my producer, who connected me with them. I'd heard of Ghostkeeper. I knew they were Métis as well. That was really exciting to me. And um, I met with them one afternoon at their house, and we just sort of talked about the film. They'd seen a cut and talked about ideas, especially around um, using sort of like natural elements to make some of the sounds mm. and different sort of... Um, instruments so I know they had they use like all sorts of interesting kind of in instruments and they ended up actually using a lot more guitar than they had thought and some synth but I also gave them some examples of of um, soundtracks I liked like I really loved the soundtrack on It Follows mm -hmm. that was one and then I really just left it in their hands which was a little bit nerve-wracking because this yeah. is their first full-length score wow. but um, I really really trust their aesthetic, like even just their photographs and the visual art they do, I was like, hmm, they have good taste. Okay, <laughs> I can trust these guys. Nice. And then, yeah, there was some back and forth, but they actually just did so much before I even gave notes that there was, while there were changes and while while we did take those, they're called um, stem files. So every sound that they make in their music goes on a different line of a track. So okay. you can kind of like remove things oh. and and you take something and use it again in the actual sound design, mm -hmm. which was really great. So then... Once they had, they, but they really did just create the sound. It really was of their of their total artistry and creation. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. it matches the movie so perfectly. Yeah, they're really good. <laughs> nice. I think they're kind of like a norm, like a not unnaturally, like very naturally, but like they're they're kind of geniuses. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, cool. So I was reading that Dark Nature was part of the Fantastic Seven program at Cannes. Yeah. Um, can you talk a bit about that? Like, I, I'd never heard of that program yeah. before. Yeah, I didn't know a lot about it either. But I guess there's just seven different film festivals around the world. And they each will submit one genre piece or a film oh. for this sort of Fantastic Seven. And so Tiff picked us. And... Yeah, that was really, really great. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to go because I just had my baby. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I had him in March. And so <laughs> I was, um, 
I wasn't there, but mm -hmm. apparently it went well and we got a lot of in our international sales. Done. That is really cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I also was pregnant during the shoot. Yeah, yes. so how was that? I mean, you hiking up and down all the time too. <laughs> I know, I was really lucky to have a good pregnancy. So, and I was just at the start of my second trimester, which is like the easy part of pregnancy. Okay. They call it like the honeymoon part of your no. pregnancy. The beginning you feel is when people feel sick. Then the end is when you're like, oh, this is, I'm, you just, it's hard. It is definitely hard. The last three weeks pregnancy, I was like, this is not fun. No. This is no longer fun. It's no longer cute. Like, it's just so, like, everything's so slow. You cannot move side to side. I think that's what, if anyone out there is listening, they're going to have a baby or their partner's going to have a baby. Just know it's like really hard to sleep because every time you have to move to your side, you have to like stop and kind of like carry the stomach over, move over. Oh, wow. Yeah. But second trimester, like I didn't even tell anybody I was pregnant till like halfway through the shoot because I just, I didn't want it to influence how people felt or make me stand out in any way, you know, whether they treated me like with more like kid gloves or just anything. I just didn't want to bring that in. Yeah. And then once we kind of gelled as a group and I started to know people and I felt like it was going well, I told everyone it gave my producer a heart attack, I'm sure. But. <laughs> <laughs> well, it seems to have worked out all good. Yeah. It's cool to know like, oh, he was there for that. I love that. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's really, he's, he's a little trooper, that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice. So you had your premiere at the Fantasia Film Festival in Montreal. Yeah. Were you able to travel to that? I was with my baby. Yeah, oh, I was able to go with him. Yeah. yeah, and so it was so much fun. I recommend if you're a film fan, just like I want to go again just as a fan and get a pass and just like wait in the lines and get in and go because it is like just such a vibrant festival. Mm -hmm. And I'd heard that about it. So I was really excited that was our premiere. Yeah. But it's just like, it's very low key. Like it's not, there's no red carpets or anything mm -hmm. like that, which I was like, oh, we have one red carpet. <laughs> but then everyone kind of just, there's like a pub nearby that people just go hang out with after the movie. So all the filmmakers and fans, like everyone's just hanging out. Oh. Um, yeah, but it's just like, it's a really long festival. It's like two and a half weeks, I think, if not longer. That is pretty long. Wow. It's very, very long. Yeah. yeah. And um, you could just be going all day, seeing movies, <laughs> discovering things. Q&As, um, I could not recommend that more. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then I also wanted to talk about, so you're going to be playing at SIF, yeah. but it's not your first time at SIF. That's right. Yeah. That's true. So Is that my third? Second? Second? I only found Glamorous Gladys. Yes, that's the one. Okay. I, I don't know sure if there was another little one. Duck went, but no, it didn't go there. Okay. Yes. So yeah. Well, yeah. so Glamorous Gladys is a documentary. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like, yeah, it's very to. different from horror. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. And that one was really, um, I co-directed that with Mikhail Lavi and she works, or uh, has the business also Sidewalk Citizen. Oh, amazing nice. restaurant and, yeah. and bakery. Um, and she's just an incredible artist and person. And she actually met this woman, Gladys, who is in her 90s and was still singing and was just really inspired by her and thought she was a real character. And um, this was right when I moved back to Calgary after film school. And Miguel was like, I want to make a movie with you. Let I make movies too. Let's make a movie. Let's do it. So I um, shot that one and then um, co-directed it with Mikhail. And we just followed Gladys. She's so glamorous. She's just like beautiful. She has these feather boas and jewelry. And she's um, singing with um, the her local, like, performance group and they put on a show at the end of the year a senior show and yeah she just she just gave us that access and sort of told us her life story which 
she's very much a singer from day one and an, an artist and had the chance, I think, to go with Benny Goodman. Oh, wow. Yeah, and his traveling sort of. So she really could have been like a massive star in the 40s and yeah. 50s. But she, um, her dad said no. And uh, yeah, but it's, that's why I, I was kind of like, oh, that's so sad. She's like, no, my dad was right. Like, that wouldn't have been good, a good life for a, a young girl like me. I would have, <laughs> you know, just don't tour with all these like older male musicians. Oh. And um, she ended up being married and having kids. And she's just always singing and just like loved her life. She had a really amazing approach to life. Oh, wow. That's yeah. great. Yeah. Um, I'm going to have to get a hold of that movie. <laughs> yeah, I can send it to you. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've got it, I think, on my Vimeo. Oh, nice. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. Maybe we can link to that so everybody okay, yeah, can see that's it. Great. Yeah, that's great. And then I have the other little doc um, that can do um, Cook Him in the Quest. Oh, great. Yeah. Did you read, see that one? Or I, I haven't seen it, okay. no. Yeah, I read about it. it. <laughs> yeah, that's also with um, um, Cree Elder Doreen Spence. She's here in town. Mm-hmm. And my friend Michelle Scott and Doreen, um, which I call her grandmother, she runs Vision Quests and is a sort of like spiritual like, community leader. So that documentary is just about people preparing. It was actually about several people preparing for the vision quest, mm-hmm. but because it was a short, we ended up just focusing on uh, Michelle's story in the year leading up to the vision quest. Very cool. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Do you have, okay. I, sorry in advance. <laughs> Do you have like a funny or embarrassing festival story from your past? Let's see. Oh, I actually have a good one. Okay. okay. So I, there's a book by Barbara Walters called How to Talk to Practically Anyone About Practically Anything. Okay. (laughs) It's actually amazing. It's very 70s, kind of like self-help, but it's also taken from all these anecdotes that she has um, from meeting and interviewing like literally every walk of life and like every person so she'll be like a chapter like how to talk to the tycoon's wife like (laughs) how to talk to the elderly how to talk to teens and it's like I kind of like rolled my eyes when I saw the cover and read it but then I was like (laughs) oh my god this is actually like so insightful and so interesting and really thinking about it as just manners and respect and learning how to sort of just put people at ease Mm. so I really wanted to adapt this book and I was like, it could be like a little, almost like a comedy sketch or I don't know, something like fun. Yeah. And I was literally reading the book, had it in a cab as I went to go down to, I think it was the um, New York Film Fest um, at Lincoln Center. And I got out of my cab and Barbara Walters is standing right there. Oh, okay. And I had her book in my hand. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. I was like, Barbara Walters. <laughs> oh my god hi and she was like oh and she had a friend with her she's like oh god like some like groupie who's like following barbara and i was like no i just got in the cab i was like barbara i have your book and i showed it to her and she kind of was like what and then she looked at it and she saw the cover and her face like totally changed she's like oh that one yeah (laughs) i was like i love this book i want to adapt it and then her friend came and was kind of like we need to go we just like left (laughs) wow what are the odds Yeah, that's a wild coincidence. (laughs) (laughs) It's just so New York, like crazy things happen in New York. Celebrity sightings, you see those celebrities, they're out there. Oh, wow. Yeah. I saw Ryan Gosling at the spray tan place. Okay. Yeah, I got a spray tan. And so does he. Yeah, he was going in for a spray tan. Yes, he was. So he had the bleached blonde hair. Yeah. I saw Gwyneth Paltrow at the playground. Who else did I see? (laughs) I was like, I know I'm going to run into big, like, Beyonce and Jay-Z, but I, I never did. Oh. Yeah. That just means you have to go back. <laughs> I gotta go back. No, I think they live in LA now. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay, well, I just have a couple more questions. One is, who would be your dream collaborator for a film? Dream collaborator. Mm. I think any producer who is experienced and can, like, nurture, that would be incredible just to to have that sort of, um, as you go into, like, bigger and bigger things, just, like, find that that kind of producing partner. Okay. I think would be, for any director, it's, like, the dream that someone wants to, like, really produce your films and really support. And yeah. I think that's really, like, my producer, Mike Peterson, did such an incredible job. But he's also a director himself. Oh, cool. So... Um, I think it would be interesting to work with a producer who just wants to produce. Mm, okay. That would be pretty cool. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's great. So then last question is, uh, what's next for you? Um, yes. We yeah. talked about this a little. So, yeah, I think um, for me, I've been working for a while um, with um, Michelle Thrush here in town on an adaptation of the book Half-Breed mm-hmm. by Maria Campbell. And that's been a really incredible experience, um, mainly just to become close with Maria and get to know her um, and just sort of really dig into that mid-century Indigenous experience from a Métis or a Michef perspective. Mm -hmm. And just it's so it's so interesting. There's so many stories and people and characters from our part of the world that like have not it's not even been explored at all on film. Yeah. And like that we are now at this time where we can be here and telling these stories. I think the whole world will be totally fascinated and, and like it's just so interesting. And I think especially thinking about like the activism that was happening in the forties, thirties, like on prairie activism and their influence from communism, which I feel like at the time no one knew where that it was not gonna work out in the, <laughs> like they didn't know what Stalin was gonna do, but I think like the core communist principles really spread through the prairies. That's why we have healthcare the way we do today. Oh, yeah. Like, and even, and for um, the indigenous activists, the things that they were doing were just so well thought out and Mm. so strategical and so advanced. Like, I feel like we're just still at a place where it's like, we need to understand what happened and how it happened. Right. And what people were very actively saying and doing at the time, because I think that part of the history has not been shown. Right. Yeah, and it's really inspiring. Yeah. yeah. So I'm really excited to tell a story like Half Breed. Um, and then there's the Creepy Pasta anthology that my short film, The Grey Man, is part of, and that I'll be doing the festival circuit right now. And that was really fun. Um, I worked with Jill Maria here in town. Um, she's an actor, and my, and my husband shot it. Um, David Bond wrote it. He's a guy in Edmonton that I absolutely love and work with. Uh, call him my horror sensei okay yeah he's just like lives and breathes horror and wow. is like a walking encyclopedia and just has so much passion for horror nice um yeah and then i'm also doing um this uh, warner brothers initiative it's a warner brothers with canadian academy so they've picked um i think eight of us eight directors um and we're we'll be working on a tv show um it's sort of it's just a cohort like where we get to, and we get paid, which is nice as well, <laughs> which is like always the other part of this, right? Like yeah. making a living. Um, and I'm doing the TIFF Talent Accelerator Writer Studio, which oh, I think I'll be taking half read in. Yeah, so nice. it's a fun year. I'm looking forward to this year. Yeah, you have a lot on the go. A lot on the go. And I guess that's how it is, right? You just have to keep going and putting things out there because things that are supposed to happen next month get cancelled and don't happen for two years or all yeah. of a sudden you, you're needed here and I think just 
Yeah, just making a living, being able to switch between being like a creator and just also a journeyman. Like, you need a director, I can come. What do you want? Let me do that for you. Mm -hmm. You know, and I I actually really, really enjoy that as well. Because it's a lot shorter and there's a lot less pressure in some ways. Oh, of course. Just more has to be like, what do you want? You want that? Like, I can go make you that. You don't have to invent the recipe. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, that's great. Yeah, I like Um, it. Cool. Well, the only thing left to do is if you have any plugs, like perhaps you want people to follow you on social media. All right. Yes, I should start my social media for Nika Productions. I think it's <laughs> Nika underscore Productions. Okay. Are you going to list it in the, the listings? I will. Yeah. If that's incorrect, don't worry. It'll be in the episode description. You can click on it right away. <laughs> yeah, I, have, I have a website too, nikaproductions.co. Um, and I, I put stills and things up there. I just sort of like update that to, to keep it kind of um, almost more like even a scrapbook for myself to see like what have I been doing or <laughs> what do I think is cool that's great yeah and the plugs I say watch Secret History I didn't direct this episode this season but uh, my husband shot the, the series and he's awesome Ian Lister very nice that's it <laughs> okay um, actually can I ask where yeah. the name Nika Productions came from yeah that's a great question so I had a dog when I lived outside of um, Edmonton and her name was Nika and I think she was a puppy when I was a baby. Okay. But just like they just got her, so we kind of grew up together, but she became like my spirit animal. Aww. And she's just the most amazing, most loyal, and most intelligent, really wonderful creature. And so um, I always just, I think of her and I just I have a great feeling. And um, then I got the artist, um, Hallie Finney, who is in Edmonton. She did my logo and some drawings around just my memories of Nika and, and the, the old acreage. And so that's, that's that. Lovely. Yeah. Well, I'm glad I asked. Yeah, me too. <laughs> um, well, Berkeley, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Yeah. And um, be sure to check out Dark Nature on the festival circuit. Um, and I'm sure it will come out wide release hopefully soon yeah it will also once um i'm not sure what our sales will be for um the u.s but it will be on super channel we did a pre-sale with them so in canada and super channel um definitely by the spring oh very cool okay well then check it out on super channel (laughs) thank you thank you this episode of repodcasting is brought to you by alberta blue cross Even if you're a busy business owner with more meetings than hours in a day, you are calm and collected when your group benefit plan is taken care of by Alberta Blue Cross. Your employees can manage their own health, dental, life, and disability coverage online, anytime, on any device, making it easier for them and for you. To learn more and explore your options, head to ab.bluecross.ca. Welcome to Super Typical Megabank. How can we disappoint you today? Hi, I'd like to open an account. May I pressure you into considering a pro-disadvantage, high-regret, impersonal, everyday inconvenient savings plan with added compounded confusion at no additional discount or apology? It's one of our top disappointers. I feel so... Disappointed? Yeah. Another unsatisfied customer. Next! If your bank makes you feel like this, it's time you talk to us. Connect First Credit Union. Bank on a brighter future.